0: Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Frent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. When competing for an economic development project, the goal of communities across the country is pretty simple don't get cut. Joining us today is Jeanette Goldsmith, who is Vice President of Strategic Development Group, where she specializes in site selection and incentive negotiations for clients worldwide. Jeanette's background spans more than 20 years in site location consulting, incentive negotiations, and economic development consulting with McCallum Sweeney and then with her own company, Goldsmith Strategy. Her specific experience includes a heavy focus on manufacturing, specifically aerospace, logistics, advanced materials, and automotive sectors as well as office sectors. Recent clients include Suntory, Boeing, Suncoke Energy, and Vaught Aircraft. Among Jeanette's most notable projects are Nissan North America's headquarter relocation from Los Angeles to Nashville. One of her most recent economic development assignments included developing and implementing a site certification program for Mississippi Power Company. A member of the Site Selectors Guild, South Carolina Economic Developers Association, and the International Economic Development Council, Please welcome Jeanette Goldsmith. Thanks for joining
1: us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: You've worked on a lot of really high-profile projects, uh, global leaders, brands that many of us are familiar with on a daily basis. Um, what we really wanted to focus on today is the RFI process. And as uh, the economic development community, very familiar with it, but not everybody does it as well as other communities. And I think there are some communities that are, are really excellent Uh, going through the process. So we talk about not getting cut. The RFI process is obviously not a one-size-fits-all. Every project, of course, is different either in scope, critical needs, location requirements, many other factors. But if you had to boil it down to one thing, especially in the initial part of the process when you are receiving responses from an RFI that you've issued on behalf of a client, what is it that gets more communities cut than anything? Not what keeps them in the game, but I want to know... Right off the bat.
1: So, the first thing that I will say is when a community submits a site that won't work, a lot of communities take the approach that, hey, I'm just going to throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And nothing will get you cut faster than submitting a site that doesn't meet the minimum requirements. If I need 50 acres, I need 50 acres, not 45, not 35. So, that's the first thing that will get you cut. The other thing that oftentimes gets communities cut early on is not thinking outside of the box when it comes to sites. I find sometimes that communities uh, get get lazy, perhaps, and provide information that's on the shelf because it's easier than starting from scratch. And, and most of my clients are very specific in what they want and what they need in a site. And I need communities and economic developers who are willing to say, okay, here I see what you need. I may not have something that exactly meets those needs, but I'm willing to go back out there and find a way or find a site that's going to, to meet those specific needs.
0: What does that say to you? Is that showing how a community is adaptable? Mm-hmm.
1: So it shows a couple of things. One, it, um, shows me that the community and the economic developers are understanding of the client's needs. Uh, it's it's more complex than just reading through the RFI. It's really trying to get to, you know, I I understand that I need 300 acres on rail with access to utilities, but what is the what are those utilities used for is the rail inbound or outbound transportation what are some of the drivers of the project is it logistics cost is it workforce cost understanding what really is going to make a location stand out and trying to make and trying to make sure that that message gets across to the prospect rather than just telling the same standard story that they tell every prospect that walks through the door trying to tailor that response to meet that prospect's needs. That shows me that they understand what those needs are. They're willing to be aggressive and think outside the box, and they're able to convey that knowledge and that understanding.
0: So a lot of communities also, I've seen, been through the RFI process numerous times, and have seen where communities just come back and the information's (laughs) only half filled out which tells me, first of all, they don't know their own community or their own product, which may be their property. Um, how, how fast will that get them cut? And Or are you willing to, do you know in advance that this is a good site, I need to get them maybe more engaged? How far are you willing to go? Uh, or are you just going to cut bait and find another site?
1: So you know a consultant's favorite answer is it depends. <laughs> So the it does depend. If my client has very specific needs, and I'll give you an example that we're working, a project we're working on right now uh, is a manufacturer, a heavy manufacturer that needs to get their outbound product into the California market with actually, with not actually being located in California. Uh, so, you know, we, we've identified communities that give us the closest distance to the major markets that they need access to, and that's where we want to be. Now, those communities aren't particularly good at filling out RFIs, but I give them, because I need to be there, I'm willing to continue to dig and dig and dig and dig for the information I need and push and push to get that information out of them. If it were a more general search, uh, not filling out the RFI would absolutely be a reason to cut a community. You're out. Um, you're out.
0: And developers can have long memories, too.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they can re- definitely remember if a company did not do Of course, uh, there's so much turnover at the local level as well that, you know, you hope after a, y- a couple of years, perhaps. Uh,
1: That's a real struggle. That, uh, to me, a little bit off topic, I know, but uh, that, to me, is a real struggle. I am very much a relationship consultant, and I have worked projects in a state with a particular person and if I call back six months later and that person is not there I'm frustrated I'll be honest I'm frustrated because then I got to learn a whole new person again and I've actually been in in states where a person, a project manager that I've worked with in the past has moved positions within the agency, and I'll pull them back. I said, I don't care what else you're doing, I would like for you to manage this project. Um, and so, I, I don't, you know, that that is, to me, a, a real issue, particularly at state-level agencies.
0: I was about to say, and of course, I come from the state side, and you are not the first person to tell me that, and unfortunately, it's the reality of state government sometimes. Right. Uh, either with changes of administration, you get some new faces in leadership positions, uh or younger say uh, project managers those rising stars uh begin to outgrow sometimes state government as well Uh, which is tough Uh, we face the same challenges our manufacturers do in retaining talent
1: sure i'm that i understand that
0: (laughs) but no that's that's great insight so let's flip the script a little and how can a community actually make their submission when they're submitting it to you stand out from other communities or is it really just about the best information
1: Well, it's a little bit about the best information, but I'll give you some sort of concrete, I'll give you some concrete examples. Uh, First is to fully answer the question. If I had a dollar for every time a person said, don't worry, we'll get it there, I would be long since retired. I don't want, I'm not going to take a promise that you'll get it there to my client. I want to know, if you need to extend a water line, I want to know where is the water line. How how are you going to extend it? Do you have access to right of ways? Have you engineered the solution? And do you have money to pay for it? And community and how long will it take? That's the other big one. Uh, so I don't. I need not just a yes or no answer. I need to know. I need to be convinced that you can actually deliver on that process. The other thing that, believe it or not, uh, I find sometimes lacking in RFPs are good quality maps. And that seems very basic, uh, but I I still, I get visuals where the site isn't outlined. I get uh, maps that I can't clearly read. Um, So I think that's a really important part of a good quality uh, RFP submission.
0: That was a big focal point for when I was at the state level a few years ago, and we talked about the importance, critical importance of mapping, and good maps can make or break a submission. Um, And I know here in Mississippi at the state level, uh, they can get some assistance from the state and with the mapping products and there's so many communities that really do excel at this and i'm fortunate i've got somebody with a background in gis and his maps are fantastic and very very proud of the work and and the mapping that he does i can't take any credit for it (laughs) obviously so i've heard consultants discuss the importance of providing quality maps as we were talking about additionally so you want to define a little more specifically a quality map you talked about uh, defining the boundary what what else is really important that should always be included i mean okay. t- topography you're probably getting all these different products but mapping so important yeah
1: so there are so the, the the part of the answer is what types of maps do we need uh, and one is the one that is most often overlooked and left out is geographic location you know where hines county is I have no idea where Hines County is. I know Jackson, Mississippi, but I don't know Hines County. So having a map that shows the geographic location of your community is first and foremost. And depending on the client or the consultant will will drive the scale of that. If you're working with an international client who doesn't have a presence in the United States, do not assume that they know where the state of Mississippi is. So first of all is geographic location, then aerial photography of the site with the site outlined, transportation maps, utility maps, topo maps, floodplain, all of those are important elements to include, but I want to get a little more granular with you. Please. On every single visual, the things that you need are an outline of the site, as we've discussed. A legend. I'm sorry if this sounds a little elementary, but I'm a tough it's. grader. I'm a very tough grader. So
0: Well, we're talking to the right person, then. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know the toughest grader who's going to cut you yes. for something that might yes. be missing. If we can pass yours, we can pass a lot. Yes,
1: yes. So a legend is very important. A uh, North arrow. So I know which way is north. A relevant scale, you know, a centimeter to a mile or or whatever that it might be. It needs to be clear and readable. The other thing that I'll say is I think that there are some mapping products that are better than others. And I struggle with Google Earth. I don't think that it is a particularly clear tool to use, but I do like Google Maps because I do think that's a that it presents a better visual. Uh, I think Esri. You mentioned that you have somebody in GIS. I l- love the Esri products. We use them ourselves in house. I'm not paid to say that. <laughs> uh, but um, I am you know, a subscriber. And yes. So, I mean, and I think that's very valuable.
0: Those are great products, and uh, we actually we use both of them in house and some other things. As uh, Cody's much more advanced, as I said, than yes. than I am. Uh, job security right. for him as well. Right. <laughs> you, you always need the good maps. So each year, economic development publications they love to come out with lists. The top site selection criteria or factors, based upon responses from consultants such as yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever participated in any of the polls. I okay, have. thought you might have. Um, right now, what's your top list? What What are the things that are driving your projects right now?
1: So the things that are driving our projects at the moment are utilities. Cost primarily, but also network, we have at the moment we happen to have uh, a bucket of projects, if you will, uh, that are significant loads, 15, 30, even a 60 megawatt load. So that that is our starting point because that can't be just built in you know in a three month time frame. So utility access and utility rates. Um, logistics are a big piece of our projects right now. And I, I think that I have a theory behind that. And one is across the globe, we are seeing the wage gap narrow between countries, between states, between regions. And what that means is that logistics and utilities are becoming a more important piece of the pie. So, companies are really looking for those locations where they can get a logistics advantage or where they can save on utility rates. So, we find that that is really driving our projects. Now, a lot of people might be surprised that workforce isn't on my top of my list. Um, it is incredibly important, and there are plenty of projects out there that are 250, 300 people for whom access to workforce is likely to be the number one. But again, what we're seeing is with increased automation uh, in the factories and in the companies that we're working with, the access to labor is becoming less of an important issue. The companies are solving their workforce problems either through their own in-house training, the wage rates that they pay, or through technology.
0: Have you seen any unique or outside the box solutions to workforce? Because everybody's experiencing a thin labor force because our unemployment rate right now across the country is incredibly low, which means a lot of people are out there working. So that's good, uh, but if you're a new company and you need two, three hundred people, it can be a challenge.
1: I wish I had the answer to that question. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, people ask me all the time of to to cite some examples of places that are really addressing the workforce issue. And what I have found in my work and in my travels is that I can cite you pockets of excellence. I can cite examples of communities and school districts that are doing things in their K-12 curriculum. I can cite excellent high school career tech programs. I can cite Apprenticeships programs, retraining programs, I, but nobody has solved the whole puzzle. I, you know, I think that it's going to have to take a sort of combination of those things uh, to really make a difference. I think as a country, uh, and particularly Mississippi as a state, is going to have to find ways to get people back in the workforce, and. I don't know. I mean, certainly, you know, we have to address the opioid epidemic because there's many parts of the country where the it, the opioid epidemic is the reason for low participation rates. But I'm going to put that aside for a moment because I don't <laughs> have the answer to that either. Um, but being able to convince people or encourage people to come into the workforce. Now, some of that is going to have to be wage rates. I mean, companies are going to have to pay enough to make it worthwhile for somebody to either not stay home or to leave their job at McDonald's uh, or or whatever the situation might be. And that's a fact of life. That's really hard for economic developers to say to their existing industries. But nevertheless, that is an important point. So many
0: communities love to, you know out the fact in their marketing that we have, you know, low cost of doing business.
1: It's not, it really is not the driver anymore. And I, I, I say this a lot, but I, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that was our, that was our goal was low cost of doing business, low labor rates, low cost for land. And that was everybody's modus operandi, but that isn't relevant anymore because everybody is starting to, to catch up. I mean, even China is starting to catch up. I mean, the reason that you're seeing so much reshoring and FDI from China is that margin on the labor rate just isn't there anymore. So,
0: so how important are programs, you know, as we're talking about workforce, uh, such as like the ACT work ready designations in the site selection process? Do you actually look at that? Or is it really just an indication of the community is engaged in addressing their, their workforce challenges?
1: So a couple of answers to that question. First, we have to have some way to do an apples-to-apples comparison of communities. And unfortunately, at the moment, the only way to do that is through traditional measures of population, labor force participation, educational attainment, commuting patterns, the data that is relatively standardized. ACT work-ready certification programs are starting to be a way that we can do apples to apples. If a community can tell me how many people are gold, silver, and bronze certified, that's a unit of measure that's going to be the same from community to community. It's not widespread, but it is an opportunity to provide an additional measure of workforce readiness. Companies are even starting to understand, uh, what the ACT work ready certification is all about. It's again not widespread, but it is starting to gain a foothold. One of the things that I have said to a couple of the participants here is what we're finding is the standards aren't stringent enough. And we're finding that companies or companies have told us that bronze certification isn't what they need. So, my encouragement to communities who are using the ACT Work Ready is to continue to push the people who are going through it up the chain because the bronze isn't going to get them what they need. The other thing I want to say is not directly about the ACT Work Ready program, but about any program that you put in place. Again, we need apples to apples comparison, and we use that data. to to compare workforces between communities. But when we're on the ground in a community, we're looking for pockets of innovation. We're looking for what are you doing around experiential learning, whether it's internships or apprenticeships or mentorship programs. Um, What are you doing to encourage employers to offer retraining opportunities? Because, again, as I said at the outset, I have found that there are pockets of excellence everywhere I go, um, but they don't come across in the data, and and they can't. So it's incumbent, I think, on the economic developers on the workforce question to, yes, the, the data says what it says, but here are some of the things that we're doing to address that.
0: You know, and I've seen, uh, we have one community that's really becoming a rock star in this area, and in their high schools and even in the junior high, they have programs that are uh, sort of centers of excellence for, you know, engineering or, you know, different sciences, especially STEM-related disciplines, and then uh, opportunities to learn more about the manufacturing process. They have a strong manufacturing uh, community there. So it's, you know, there are those pockets, but again, you don't know it unless... That community takes the time to actually tell you about it, mm-hmm. so if you could give advice to a community to make it more competitive in the site selection process, this is the thirty thousand foot view, where would you tell them to look first what what's the first thing they can do they can they can go home right now and do it and maybe i'm over i'm, I'm probably sure i'm oversimplifying this obviously, but
1: i'm sure that this is not a thirty minute podcast, but <laughs> I will try to answer the question uh, so first and foremost is getting your sites ready, knowing what your sites have and don't have. Uh, we've been talking about site readiness in a, as an economic development community for 20 years, and it's still as important today as it's ever been and probably more so. So making sure your inventory of sites is, is there uh, and it's ready to go and you understand what it's going to take to fully develop that site. The second thing I would say is to start identifying new sites now. And I, to me, too often, communities start that process too late. It takes about five years to, t- to take a piece of dirt full of pine trees to a fully ready industrial site. And if you're not starting now, five years from now, you're going to be empty-handed the third thing I'll say around sites is it's important to make sure that you have a diverse portfolio of product, whether that's sites, buildings, industrial parks, large, small. You need to have a mix. Uh, you need to have a, a a nice industrial park for those folks that want to you know do tilt up walls and brick and landscaping and a not-so-nice industrial site where people can do what they want to do or need to do for their process. There, so there's a big diversity of product. You also need to make sure that your product matches your target industry list or the types of activities that you're seeing. I know a community that complains to me often about the fact that they have six certified sites in their community and none of them have ever sold. Well, the problem is this community is clearly a distribution and logistics community, which need 200 acre sites and all of their certified, their certified sites are 50 acres or less. So making sure that you have a diverse portfolio of product that is ready to go Uh, the second thing that i would say to a community in order to be competitive is to make sure that you have a strong network of partners that you can pull together uh, to help win a project and those partners are going to include obviously your state economic development organization But your utilities, your workforce and training partner, uh, Department of Transportation, uh, a whole host of people that you need to be on a first-name basis with, you need to be able to communicate with, they return your phone calls, they're eager to help, uh, because economic development is a team sport. And if you don't know your team, if you don't have a team, if you don't play well with your team, uh, it's going to cause
0: trouble for you. And you said the way you do business it's through relationships yes so meet them before yes I
1: have actually a have a, a story about that I was I'm running <laughs> I was running uh, around the Gulf Coast with a huge project and we walked into a site visit and the economic developer for the community was meeting the new the head of the statewide workforce training program for the first time and my client project manager leaned over to me and said we can leave whenever you're ready because and the reason is he he knew that they didn't know each other that they hadn't worked together before and he didn't want there to be a trial run on his project so he you know it was obvious that they hadn't worked together and that was almost a deal killer
0: don't wait to make those relationships do it now She's a tough grader. She doesn't want you to get cut. Jeanette Goldsmith, Vice President of Strategic Development Group. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDCinfo.